Hello, and welcome to the 35th episode of the Queen Bee Book Club podcast. My name is Audrey. And I'm Cher. And we're your Queen Bees today. I will be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure that this is the 35th episode. What did you, which number did you say? I said 35. I'm pretty sure that's right. And that's what I've been practicing when I've been doing my tests, but I did not verify it. Well, who knows? <laughs> um, have you been? I've been good. Yeah, I'm loving my internship. Um, this is kind of the first weekend I have that I don't have any plans, so Ooh. not really sure what we're going to be up to. Sounds great. I've been reading um, Sylvia Plath's journals that you gave me for my birthday last year, and I've oh, just yeah. been really loving them. Um, part of it, there's like two things that I like a lot. Like, first of all, she's just so goddamn talented at writing that it makes me so like, it's, it just like brings home what a tragedy her suicide was because like, I think she would probably still be alive today if she hadn't killed herself. And she, I think she truly would be regarded as one of the greatest living writers of her like of our time um she's so and but it's also like but you see even I'm um in the journals that are while she's at Smith and you can just see that she's not well (laughs) there's like stuff definitely going on um but also it's a nice um in between like queen bee book book to have going on because there's no plot it's just like yeah. you can kind of just enjoy the writing and what she's what's going on and like it doesn't matter if you like don't remember exactly what happened in that last entry or whatever. It's just like just enjoy what she's putting down and you know keep going. Yeah, I read her letters. Um it's been ages now, like when I was a junior in high school and I like felt similarly where I'm just like so you're just you're an inspiration and yeah. Well, and I think too that it would be really easy to read her journals and think like, oh, um, this is like evidence that you have to be kind of tortured to be truly brilliant. And I don't think that that is true, but I do unfortunately think that some of her torturedness helped her brilliance a little bit. You know, what's actually really interesting about her is that um, when she had her children, like, postpartum was, like, some of her best writing she ever did. Like, literally, like, right after she gave birth, Mm -hmm. she just, like, had all of this inspiration, which I think is kind of cool. Sometimes I do skip the poems. You what? I said sometimes I do skip the poems in her journal. Yeah, I know. We're not not really poetry gals. But also, it's, like, a free skip. It's, like, not, yeah, that's not what I'm here for totally I also just can't like I know so many people like post on Instagram that they're reading that milk and honey book and I just uh I don't even know what that is it's like a book of poems and I'm like I don't get it I get reading a poem for like a circumstance but I don't understand like I can't sit down and like read a book of poems no (laughs) I mean, I certainly have done it, but most of it for grad was, school. Um, no, like I would just do it to like try to impress people oh, and sure. create 
of a vision of myself that right <laughs> was somebody who read poetry in coffee shops and stuff mm-hmm. but yeah it's not really my jam I like I like prose <laughs> <laughs> I mean there are definitely poems that I like love and appreciate but it's not like if I'm like I'm never compelled to like like hit that poetry I think the thing about poetry is that you have to read it like very carefully yeah and I think for me like part of the pleasure of reading is making progress through Mm -hmm. something and there you don't get that when you read poetry because it takes a long time yeah I remember in undergrad and stuff it'd be like you know make sure you're reading these poems you know three or four times and I was like three or four times no I know it's like it's like this reading should be taking you just as long as the prose reading I'm like for god's sakes it's 12 pages I'm looking forward to a break Unless, of course, it's friggin' In Memoriam, which is a 50-page poem, which is unfair, I think. Remember when I wrote that paper about In Memoriam? Shocking everyone. Because so <laughs> I didn't even read it the first time through. Like, okay, thanks. I'm going to write about The Walking Dead. <laughs> and certainly not In Memoriam. I'm going to write about In Memoriam and homosexual love. Yeah. <laughs> like some, you know. You are an authority so- on that, on both. Only in that one paper, though. Like, like, that was never anything I was interested in at all for the whole of grad school. I'm like, I'm interested in women and birth. Can we talk about that? I just remember you, me, and Tyler getting paired up to talk about that poem. Or we we (laughs) self-selected our groups. But it was like, Tyler was like right in the middle of his like not sleeping thesis writing mode. And he was like, yeah, I... I did not read this. He was like, his hair was even crazier than usual. Like, he was barely holding it together. He was always, like, he was even more flustered coming in late to class. Like, <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, I just saw that it was 50 pages and was like, no. Even, the thing is, is even if I did read it, I knew, I knew that I would not get anything out of it. Yeah. Well, because that's the thing is, like, you have to be hard. reading that poem with... Like, in a sense that you're, like, looking for something specific and then only highlighting those passages because, like, the rest of the 49 pages are fluff. Right. Yeah. But you know what you can do in an English class if you haven't done the reading? A close Close reading. Close reading. Like, I would really love to close read this paragraph that I remember. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a lot here. Oh, no. I have to say, though, that I think that um, grad school, like, our grad program has prepared me for legal research because Mm. I really feel like it's a lot of, like, reading stuff, quoting it, and then connecting it, which I'm like, great, this is all I did. Yeah. I think that's why they say that people who have master's degrees in English are very um, appealing law school applicants. Because you have those, like, writing and analytical skills. Yeah. I just updated my LinkedIn. You'll probably get a notification, like, an email about it. I'm very excited. LinkedIn is – you're not on LinkedIn? No, I am. Okay, good. I mean, like, not that I ever go on it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on it fairly frequently these days. I try to send out – Oh, yeah. Those, like, form letter congratulations when people have promotions. 
Yeah. Brennan is like, it's his social media <laughs> network that he, of choice. Whenever I see that someone has shared like information on LinkedIn other than like their own job, like when they're like sharing articles, I'm always like, whoa, why? I, I, I don't, I don't know that Brennan does that. I think Brennan just posts jobs on it, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's a lot. I just don't get it. Well, because I think there's, like, like, a whole culture of LinkedIn that I'm just not a part of, and... Yeah. Is the point of that to get people to look at your profile? Like, I have no idea. Like, if you're active, people will look at you more? Like, I just don't know. Oh, I think... Yeah, I think so. But it's, like, what would I share? Like, these are the Emmy nominations I've worked up about right now. (laughs) I guess I could share the Queen Bee. I don't know. I don't know. I just... That would be very, like, on brand for me, though, is, like, misunderstanding what that's for and, like, embarrassing <laughs> myself. <laughs> Similar to the artist statement that we had to do for I, our gallery. I was just thinking yeah. about that artist statement. That was humiliating. <sighs> I eventually turned it around, but um, for those of you who don't know the story, um, when Cher and I were in our last year of graduate school, we participated in the Capstone Gallery show where we got to showcase our Capstone projects and we were supposed to write an artist statement and I had never written an artist statement and I thought it was kind of like an author's bio. So, (laughs) and, but I had done like an about me section for my importance of being Cecily website, which was very tongue in cheek. Like I want Michael Fassbender to whisper sweet nothings in my ear, just like Cecily. (laughs) And I put that shit right into that artist statement (laughs) and it went out to everyone in the Georgetown community, including my professors. And my advisor was like, "Mm." I thought that was a little odd, is I think what he said to <laughs> He's you. like, I did want to talk to you about your artist statement. And my first, like, the first thing out of my mouth was, I'm so embarrassed. I didn't know. I'm rewriting it. And he was like, thank God. I thought that was what you actually wanted to put out into the world. Oh, my God. It wasn't. Like, there, I just remember the horror that was washing over me as I read everyone else's artist statement and then scrolled down to mine. <laughs> That was like thirsty and <laughs> narcissistic. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't. Did I, I? I know we talked about it a second ago. I can't remember if we're recording, but one of the puppies um, went to her forever home today. Apricot, who's uh, been frequently um, on my social media, including the queen bee. Mm-hmm. So that's a cute dog. She's very cute. It's good that she has a home, though. It is. It's just, like, it's honestly the sad part is that, like, some of the puppies, like, miss her now. Like, one of the puppies specifically named Frida, because she has little eyebrows, (laughs) um, she, uh, like, when she left, she just, like, stood there and was like, what happened? Like, why is this happening? Where did she go? And I was just like, oh, little free. That's so sad. Yeah. The other puppies, like, couldn't care less, and frankly, like, (laughs) Apricot was kind of a bully, so probably they're (laughs) glad that she's gone, but... That's awesome. She wasn't, like, a bully. She just, like, had pretty much no spatial awareness. And so she would, like, (laughs) step on people. And she was a little bit bigger than the rest. And Mm -hmm. so she just caused a lot of trouble. She was the boss. She was very sweet. Yeah. 
She reminded me of myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so I guess that's Catch Up Corner. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you liking this book? I'm loving it. I'm liking it a lot. So I think we chose this because we wanted to do like a classic beach pool summer read. And so maybe yeah. we should start out by talking about like what we think constitutes like that category. Um, plot driven. Yes. I would say, um, not a book that will be damaged by water. Mm -hmm. Like you're not bringing a hardcover. Well, that is, I, it's an interesting thing for you to bring up because I was going to say, one of the things I like about this book is I like how floppy it is. Like it just flops open in your hand. Like you don't have to like chisel it apart. Like you did this, um, stranger beside me. Um, yes. Although I would say, like, the version that we had of The Stranger Beside Me would very much be, like, a beach-style oh, yeah. read in terms of, like, how, like, mm-hmm. those pop-it, pocket paperbacks, like, you always see them on those, like, mm-hmm. hotel shelves where you can leave stuff behind with all the wrinkles <laughs> in the spine. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, I, yeah, I really, like, I do like the format. Mine has, like, been totally chewed by puppies, so mm-hmm. it's, like, ruined already. Yeah. Um, I also think... Um, beach and like summer reads falls into that category where people take it like not seriously and Mm -hmm. so it's one of the it's one of my like along with like chiclet and rom-coms and just like general I think it's like a lot of things that they tend to associate with like women they'll be like oh it's not it's not serious and so but it is something that bothers me sometimes I also think though that like a classic beach read would be like the Da Vinci Code, yeah, which that's is just true. like like thriller and plot driven and just something yeah. that like I don't know. Yeah, that is true. But I think sometimes, like especially in the literary community, it's like, what's wrong with a book that is just purely enjoyable to read? I think nothing. nothing. I also think this book is like it. Like, this book is not, it's not, like, a romance novel where it's, like, this has, like, been produced by a factory right. of, like, ghostwriters, and it's not, like, it's all done by formula, mm-hmm. and it's just, like, based on how many different words you can come up with that are synonymous with penis. Right. Um, but I don't, I, like, I just think this book is fun, mm-hmm. and it goes fast, too. Yeah, I think that's another thing. Um, to me, like a beach or pool read, it has to be something that you can sit and read for hours. Yes. And like not... And that, and that you could maybe even finish by the end of your vacation. Right. Yeah. So before we jump into like the actual plot, I did some research on the country of Singapore because oh God, get out of here I did like I literally finished our reading section 10 minutes ago so. I only did it because I realized that I know nothing about Singapore well neither do I but I did not I was getting deign to research with okay. other things um well because the part of what prompted me is so Nick Young who is one of the protagonists of the book and his family are all from Singapore and I was yes. getting a little confused because they were also talking about them being Chinese. And so yes. I was confused. And so I thought like, oh, is Singapore one of those like a Hong Kong or like a Taiwan 
where it's like part of China or like China thinks it's part of China, but they are like, we are not part of China. It's not. Oh, yeah. Um, so I have a little bit of info from um, our Lord and Savior Wikipedia. Excellent. So Singapore, um, right now, their primary ethnic background is Chinese. And it's about okay. like about 74% of the country is Chinese and about like 13% is Malay. Okay. It was colonized by the British. So it's one of those fun stories okay. about Britain having more than they can handle. Okay. Um, <laughs> doing things they shouldn't. Yeah. Okay. So, and also what's interesting is it has a very large concentration of millionaires, which we kind of, which is definitely a part of Crazy Rich Asians. Um, I'm just reading through my notes here. I didn't really break this down into like a real story, but, um, oh, but so it was colonized by the British and, but it is still part of the British Commonwealth. So it is its own country, but like Canada and Australia, um, and a few other countries, it's part of the Commonwealth. So, um, Prince Harry and the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan, maybe we'll go there one day. Um, and it's const- it's constituted of 63 islands. Has a large I said that already. Um, it's the only Asian nation with a triple A credit rating from most major uh, rating agencies, and it ranks Is that highly. Good? Yes, it's like um, <laughs> it was like a big deal when the United States a couple of years ago lost their triple A credit rating. Um, it basically means that like they're a stable country that you can invest in without worrying about it like collapsing okay um so is it like is it like it's like switzerland or like yeah that what it means or it's like your your money's safe in the bank yeah yeah and it also just means that like the country is itself pretty stable too like most um developed nations have a triple a credit rating except Um, for us i think we got it back i think it was like a stupid we had or we were like I don't really remember what it was of how that happened, but I think we did get it back. Um, but they rank highly in industry and education, and but their income inequality is high. Um, so, okay. like, in a lot of ways, I was noticing, like, Singapore sounds a lot like the U.S. in some ways, where it's, like, pretty good on education. It's like a microcosm. Yeah. They have, I mean, they have way fewer people. Um. They have four official languages, English, which is the most common first language, Malay, Mandarin, and Tamil, I think is how you say it. And um, however, they have a low level of free press and civil liberties. And um, they, oh, and the um, Economist Intelligence Unit labeled them as a flawed democracy. Because for a while, I was like, wow, Singapore seems like the best. I want to go there. (laughs) Or not that I don't want to visit there now, but I was like, why aren't we all talking about Singapore more and moving there? Um, But they definitely are limiting their press and whatnot. Um, It is a tropical rainforest climate. They were inhabited by the Japanese during World War II, but Britain took them back. Um... And the Chinese population of Singapore swelled during British rule in the late 1800s, which is partially why they have so many Chinese people in their country. 
Because when I was looking at it, it's not necessarily that close to mainland China. Okay. Yeah, my, like, geography is one of my, like, biggest weaknesses. I really don't have a good sense of it. Well, particularly Asian geography, I feel like, is... For me, I feel like any, like, I pretty much, the only thing I could kind of tell you is Europe. Yeah. But I definitely, I think one of the things that this book is leaning on is, like, it's definitely written for everyone, but, Mm -hmm. and, like is meant to be particular like winking and enjoyable to people that are of Asian descent and have Mm -hmm. families like this and like family members who've had these kinds of experiences. But I think it's also like, especially with like the footnotes and things like that, it's kind of counting on like an American audience, not knowing any of this stuff and like coming at, and like, it's definitely very aware that a lot of the Western Um, assumptions about Asia is like, oh, it's the developing world. Like, you know, there's like China, like, you know, kind of poor, whatever. And it's like, especially with that prologue where like these filthy rich people go to that very nice British hotel and they're like, sorry, you can't stay here. Because you couldn't possibly afford it because you're Asian. It was very wet from the rain. So no. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that research. Oh, sure. I'm sorry that it wasn't better organized. That was very well organized. (laughs) I have a much better understanding now. Thank you. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. Um, I don't even know how to really talk about this book because like, okay, so it's set up in, in like kind of like you are focusing on specific characters for specific chapters and mm-hmm. then it bounces around. And like so Game it's of like, Thrones. <laughs> it is kind of like Game of Thrones. So it's it's very much not a linear plot mm-hmm. that much. Or like you're like jumping around from different plot to different plot. I guess, yeah, like Game of Thrones. Um, I would say the plot that I'm most invested in would be the adultery plot. Astrid? Astrid's plot. Yes. Astrid is probably my favorite character. I thought so. Um... I think if I could predict, because these were two of my favorites, um, I bet your favorites were Oliver. Yes. And Astrid. Yes. <laughs> Oliver is, like, if this movie did not require an all-Asian cast, which it absolutely does, um, Oliver would be played by Stanley Tucci. Yes, 100%. So if in the movie it's not an Asian Stanley Tucci they failed. Yes. Not agreed. not Stanley Tucci pretending to be Asian. I want to be very clear. No. But an Asian actor. I do not want that. Um, but an Asian actor who is similar to Stanley Tucci. Yes. A hundred percent. I loved Oliver. I love the character. I love a good character who is clearly very immersed in the world that the character that is being brought into that world is introduced to I don't know if that made sense I like the character a character who is welcoming to an outsider but clearly very much of the world that they are welcoming someone into like he is like all into the Asian art scene and like very fabulous and wonderful but also very nice to Rachel. But he also, I think, is very self-aware of, yes. like, how some things are very crazy and bizarre and is, yeah. like, 
open to giving her a few tips to survive. Right. I like the because... character that's basically like, let me tell you how it is. Yes. So so basically, Rachel, it comes from, like, I can't, is it like, I mean, compared to everyone in this book, like, she is Modest very means. poor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, like, her, she's comes from a family, like, it's a single mom. Yeah, it's, like, very middle class. Um, but, like, she's very smart. She's a professor. Where are they professors? NYU, at Stanford? I think. Oh, they're professors at NYU, but she went to Stanford for her undergrad and Northwestern for her master's. So she's, like, very smart. She's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. But she certainly is not a part of this world at all. No. And And also Nick, didn't even know Nick was a part of it. Well, that's the thing. Nick, her boyfriend, who is apparently part of, like, the richest family in Singapore, and they're, like, they're, like, old money mm-hmm. in Singapore. They're not, like, her rich friend who's clearly a new money person. <laughs> um, They're, like, old money Singapore, and he does not tell her a damn thing. Like, his grandmother is, like, potentially somewhat royal. Yeah, there's um, a family lineage in the front of the book, and it definitely links one of them to royalty. But I don't remember. I find that I am constantly referring to that family tree. Yeah, very possible. Um, yeah, but um, he tells her nothing yeah. about his family and is like, oh, do you want to come over to my grandmother's tonight? And right. then it turns out, like, like, welcome to her palace. Yeah, so based on your tone, I can tell that we're on the same page about this. Which is, Nick, are you fucking kidding me? Which, so, one of the things I like about this, too, is this is not a new relationship. They have been together for two years. They live together. Right, which I think is smart on Kevin Kwan, the writer's part, because I think it gives the relationship and this whole scenario, like, a real sense of stakes. Because... I think otherwise, like, if they just started dating, it'd be like, whatever, what a happy surprise. But this is, like, I think this is, like, a full betrayal of trust. Yeah. Well, and I also can very much understand, which, like, is a very common plot in romantic comedies, when, like, you meet somebody and you're royal and so you oh, don't want to reveal. Prince. Love it. Yeah. You Love don't want to reveal that. that you're royal because then you don't want – because you're constantly being mm-hmm. used for your money. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand that. Fair enough. However, this relationship has been going for two years. Two years. They live together. She clearly loves him for who she is. She has no – she's yeah. she is not the type of person who is that interested in money. Yeah. And, like, she's just, like – I mean, she's, like, holy crap, it's so over the top that we're flying first class. Yeah. Like, she is not – somebody who's like looking for this Mm -hmm. she's a very low-key girl and yet he doesn't i I don't know is it that he doesn't trust her enough or is he embarrassed like i don't know what it is partially that i think i think there are some competing elements going on the first of which is that he's stupid and the second of which is i think like we've seen that nick very much has had it like beaten into him that we don't talk about money in our family. We don't do it. And so that it's very like gauche and wrong to kind of say, I come from a very wealthy family. But I feel like you can do, like you, like Astrid tells him, you have to prepare Rachel for what she's walking into. And I guess I don't know how, maybe how he would have done that without seeming kind of like an asshole. 
but he really does like tell her nothing and say like, oh yeah, just like walk on in, whatever. But like my thing too is like, she needs also, to like, know he how to tell dress. Her what to wear? Yes. Yeah. Like she needs to know how to dress. She needs to know, like she needs to be prepared. Like he yeah. should have been showing her pictures of his family members before they left on the trip. Yeah. Um, which could have been a very fun montage. And also saying, like, this is who they are, objectively. And, you know, like, it doesn't change who I am or what I want or whatever, but, like, this is kind of how it is. I also think, like, no matter what, no matter who your family is, like, I would never bring... When I brought Brendan to meet my family, like, I had prepped him on terms in terms of, like, who's who? Like, what's the relationship? Mm-hmm. What are the quirks? Like, yeah. what can you expect? Like, who's gonna, like, who are we feuding hold you with? in conversation yeah. forever? You know, like, just so he has an idea of, like, what to expect. And I mean, my family is enormous, and it's, like, everyone's very close, and there's, like, a lot of stuff. And so it could be kind of overwhelming. I mean, not yeah. in the same way that <laughs> Nick's family is overwhelming. Yeah. But I just think it would be cruel to not... It is cruel. Give somebody a little bit of a heads up. Like, when he was like, oh, come over for dinner at my grandma's house, I was, like, sickened at knowing what she was going to be walking into and yet, like, not being able to tell her myself. Like, that he wasn't warning. Well, and that's another thing that's interesting about how this book is plotted, where the audience knows a lot more a lot of times than like Rachel does. It's almost like literally Rachel at that point was the only one who didn't know. Right. Well, and we know that everybody in Singapore has been talking about the fact that he's bringing a girl home. And so everyone's speculating about her. Right. Which by the way, love the fact that the Bible study for those Singapore ladies is really just gossip time. Like that's great. I love That's it good stuff. Um, but he, like, I mean, he doesn't give her any sense of, like, what are people's politics? Like, maybe yeah. these are some things you shouldn't bring up. Maybe yeah. this is the language you should speak with each person. Like, he gives yeah. her nothing. He's just like, whatever. Okay. You're stupid. He's stupid. And I also, I can't believe that he's not expecting her to be pretty pissed. Yeah. He's just like, Rachel doesn't care about that kind of stuff. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, we're not talking about getting married. Like, why is everyone making a big deal about it? It's like, I don't know, maybe because she's the first girl you've ever brought home. Well, I also just don't really buy this whole thing of, like, I'm not really thinking about marriage because I'm just such a, like, bohemian free spirit Nick. Right. Because the fact that he is bringing her and is introducing her. Totally. Means that he wants her to become a part of that world. Yes. Yes. Especially, like, with how high stakes his family is. Like, you don't do this lightly. Right. Yeah, that's definitely true. Especially because he hasn't really brought anyone home. Like, he's not been the guy who's like, yeah, this is my girlfriend. She's, like, going to be in the family photo. Like, great. He's not He's not an Eddie who's bringing his mistresses to weddings. Yeah. Eddie. Um. But I also think um, in this way... In, like, terms of them, Rachel and Nick being together for two years, I feel like this book lends itself very well to being adapted into a movie, almost in a, yeah. in a way that there are going to be things, I think, that are going to work better in the movie than they do in the book. Where, like, for example, 
it's very hard if you have a couple that loves each other and has been together for two years. I think it's hard to show in a book that they love each other other than just telling you they love each other and having them tell other people so-and-so is great. Because like that was one thing I would, it was almost like I was having Age of Innocence flashbacks where I was like, I don't get their connection because we Oops. don't, Nick and Rachel's, just because like, because they're, they're two years into their relationship. They're comfortable with each other. They have a shorthand. Whereas like in a movie, you're going to be able to see them holding hands or like right. looking at each other sweetly or something. And where that kind of stuff, if you over pepper your book with that, makes it seem really cheesy. But I think it'll... I think you'll be able to tell that they these are two people that love each other immediately in a movie where in a book you just kind of have to take Kevin Kwan's word for it. Yeah. I mean, I think that you can tell at least that they seem to have a healthy relationship. Yeah. I guess. I think so too. Although, like, the thing, too, is, is, like, the couple who I would have said had, like, the most romantic relationship would be Astrid and Michael, and look what <laughs> Michael's up to. Yeah, no good is what he's up to. He's buying, like, tacky charm bracelets and <laughs> sexting. Yeah, cheating. Also, sorry, um, but if you're cheating, why is your um, text message preview on? <laughs> like, are yeah. you stupid? Do you have your text message preview on? No. I do. Oh, I do. <laughs> so, like, when people text you, like, you have, like, what they're going to say, like. Yeah. I'm sure. That was a black screen. I have a text. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't do that. I-, I definitely in high school had it off. But at this <laughs> point, I'm like, I have nothing to hide. Right. <laughs> Scandal share had things to hide. <laughs> Yeah, although actually, like, I'm a horrible gossip, so maybe I should put it on in case, like, I'm with the person. (laughs) That's more of my reason, yeah, that it's, like, if I want, like, if you and I are texting about someone that's in the room, it's, like, you can't have those on. That's true. Um, (laughs) Whatever, we're just mean girls. Uh. (laughs) The other thing I think that will work very well in the movie is, like, there's a lot of, like, opulence porn in this book. Oh, my God, I know. I love it. Which it's, like, I really like it, and it's necessary, but then sometimes I'm, like, oh, my God, we get it. Like, I don't need every gold-tipped item described to me in this room. Um, Are you talking about that when they go to her friend's house? I was, like, getting – I'm, like, this is a little much. Yeah. So – Sometimes, yeah, the description of how rich everything is, it's like, it's necessary because you do need to have that image in your head and it has to be kind of over the top because it is over the top. But in a movie, you're just going to be able to like look at it visually and be like, holy shit. And we're going to be in the It's same. not going to take up pages. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The thing that like made me the most envious of their lifestyle Mm. is the closet with the mirror that takes pictures of every outfit you've ever worn so if like you leave wearing that outfit it will record the date you've worn it oh so you don't outfit repeat like i mean i thought Cher's clueless program (laughs) was cool this is much better yeah and the thing is is like it's probably real i'm sure it's real it's great um, I mean, honestly, like, closet enhancements are, like, 
if I was a really rich person, like, that's what I would put my money into. Well, is, like, just having, like, a beautiful closet. Yeah. Well, and I think, like, having an amazing closet is kind of, like, the ultimate, like, performance of wealth. Because it's, like, such an unnecessary expense. Other than, but like, see, I want it to be this way. Whereas, like, see, to me, nobody's I going in your closet except for you. Well, I don't think that needs to be, like, I just like it because it's everything's organized and you can see everything. Like, mm. whenever you go in the Kardashians' closets, Ooh. I'm like, oh, my God, I love that they, you can see every pair of shoes organized by color. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm ever like, well, I need a black strappy sandal, there they all are. Right. And I don't have to open 50 boxes before I find them, which is what mine is like. Yeah, that's very nice. But what I'm saying is, like, it's the, like, least necessary thing to do to your home. I guess. Like, I mean, just in that it's not a public place. I understand right. what you mean. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying that, like, no, like, I judge people who have a me- Like, I'm like, this is great. Like, you're, I mean, your life is clearly in order. This is awesome. But um, I do think that that is, like, it's like you probably have a pretty decent amount of money if you have, like, a really dope closet. Because you would probably put your money first into, like, your kitchen and like your bathrooms and your bedroom too yeah I feel like the bedroom is like frankly the least (laughs) like I don't know I in my bedroom and in our current house like it is definitely like the last thought because nobody else goes in there but you and so Mm -hmm. it's like and really there's just a bed in there so there's not that much to decorate I guess and it's Mm -hmm. sort of like you don't want to hang like your really nice pictures in there because no one else will see them right true i don't know but Um, yeah it's like after you get your like famous paintings then you then you would move on to like climate controlled closets oh i don't that's that's (laughs) ridiculous that's absurd but um i just like organization porn is definitely something i'm into yeah um I do know that I would unorganize it, like, instantly. But then I would get great satisfaction about putting it all back together again. So. Or you could have your maid put it back together again. Yeah, I guess people all have servants. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I guess I wouldn't be really worried about that at all. Great. Yeah. Um, so I think that with the Astrid Michael plotline, mm-hmm. I think that it's going to become clear that, like, the issue in their marriage comes from his resentment of her family's wealth and her wealth. Yes, for sure. Is my prediction. Like, I think that's what's going on where, like, I think he's, like, very much, like, he's a self-made man. He works really hard, and he sort Mm -hmm. of was like, I don't want you to just gift us a house. Like, I want to live in something that, like, we can afford on our own as a couple. Right. Whereas, like, he kind of doesn't, like, Astrid's like, well, I have 17 homes. Like, I can't even <laughs> keep track of how many homes I own on my own. And, yeah. like, I buy so many dresses that I could buy a house three times the size of our house in just one season. Yeah. Which definitely and I think would cause some... It just, it definitely would cause some power dynamics. I think also it's, like, like, I understand Michael's perspective of, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be beholden to your family because we've taken mm-hmm. all this money and for, also like, accepted that gift. I think it's a masculinity thing of like, 
no, I'm your husband and I can provide for you. Right. And which, so, which I, like, I mean, I don't know. Which, but I also Astrid can Astrid... provide for herself. Based right. on like all the investments that her parents have like listed her in and, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely interesting. I feel like there's a major theme lately in our culture of like men who are unable to like support their shinier wives, if that makes sense. Or like, like live up to the lifestyle that they're accustomed to. Yeah. Well, it's like um, in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, um, part of the reason that uh, Mrs. Maisel's husband leaves is because he's basically like, you're too perfect, I can't handle it. Because she's like a housewife who comes from money, but like so does he to some extent. And it's basically like she like does everything perfectly and he's like feeling down about himself. And so he's just like, I can't take it anymore. And I feel like, you know, in Michael, we also see someone who, like, clearly can't handle having his wife be, like, more financially stable than him, you know, have her be the one that everyone kind of talks about, even though that's not what he wants necessarily. But, like, in this affair, you see, like, he wants to be, like, the big shot where he's, like, buying her jewelry and, like, whatever, whereas he's, like, clearly not that with Astrid. Right. But I think the thing that's sad is that, like, Astrid doesn't, Astrid doesn't care, and Astrid picked him. Like, Astrid could have married any rich guy. Like, that's not her, and she frankly has enough money for ever. Yeah, and I think part of the reason that she picked him was because she felt like maybe they could be more equal, because he had different, kind of different values than her about certain things, which is sad. It's just sad. I mean, it's so, like, it's also just such, like, a common affair. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just, like, it's so dirty. Like, it's. Like, his mistress uh, didn't even spell out the word you. She didn't even spell out the word inside. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) she's clearly trash. (laughs) Um, But I think it's also very sad, like, watching Astrid's thought process of like well like all men have affairs here yeah. it's not a big deal like in a few months like he'll, this will burn out and he'll come back to me and like I just need to like not rock the boat mm-hmm. which like I just want her to scream and yell and confront him yeah because I feel like that Astrid not saying anything is very much like a non-Astrid move so I think this is definitely going to explode in her face. Well, because I just don't understand how you can, I guess I get it because it's like once she says to Michael that she knows, it makes it so real. Well, that's the thing. I think what she expects to happen is like, this will eventually burn out and the affair will stop on its own. And so she did like her revealing that she's aware will -hmm. just like cause problems between them whereas now they can basically both pretend like it's not even happening yeah and nothing has to actually change but that has got to eat you alive like knowing that your husband is cheating on you and not saying anything about it 
and being hurt by it. It's not even like she's one of those women that's like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Well, it's like um, Meg and Ted Bundy. Like, I think that she, like, knows this is going on, but confronting him about it is what's going to make it real. Yeah. And she can make excuses and pretend like it's not happening, even mm-hmm. though it's very obvious that, well, he's not having affairs, but he's, killing he's a murderer. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's just Astrid deserves so much better. She's so great. She's so great. Well, and I thought Michael was going to be great, too, and then he's not. Yeah. I will say um, I am very confused by the idea of purchasing couture. Why? Because Well, it just seems like I think my thing, I guess it's like more like you have it in your collection because I just don't understand where one wears couture outside of like the Met Gala, the Oscars, that kind of thing. Well, it seems like... It seems like she's wearing stuff out to, like, everything. Right. And, like, it's, like, more subtle stuff. But like, so, it's not, but it's not always difference. gowns. Right. But there's a difference, I think, between, um, like, ready-to-wear Chanel, which would be, right. like, the blazers, that kind of, and, like, couture. But I don't think she's buying, like, she's buying, like, six dresses. And it seems like they're... These people go to enough fancy parties that you're going to have a chance to de- debut. That's true. That Okay. Accepted. Because sometimes when I see those fashion shows, I'm like, these dresses are amazing. I don't know what setting anyone would wear them in. Well, I guess that, that's kind of the interesting thing is like, usually, I mean, how most people's lives work, it's like you have an event that you then go get a dress for. Mm-hmm. whereas I think for them it's like they can count on the fact that there will be an event they just don't right. know what it is yet because their social calendar is like so extensive that's true and so they know like I will obviously need yeah several gowns for the year yeah I do like also that Nick is from the type of family that's almost like like an Austin heroine or like hero where they have all of this money and it's like not clear as to why well, it's not clear as to why, and they also are, like, weirdly stingy about stuff. Yeah. Which is enjoyable. Because yeah. I remember, like, before I really understood, like, Austin's era or, like, the Regency period, I was like, how how do these people have money? None of them work. I don't get it. What's going on? But at least, like, in this day and age, it's like, oh, they've got investments. Yeah, and, like, properties, and, like, yeah. it also seems like there seems to be some kind of royal connection that yeah started because i think it's his grandmother who has some royal connection Mm -hmm. the one that oliver was like we don't talk about that side of the family yeah they're too important (laughs) oliver but yeah i am sad though that it's like because nick is bungling this introduction his mother is, like, now going to mainland China to, like, pay all this money to, like, find out about Rachel's past. And it's like, what? Do you think that there's going to be, like, anything to find out? I feel like that would well, be so a we fun don't know, twist. We don't know anything about her father. So, like, True. I feel like that could be a potential bombshell. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we don't really know right. what there is there. 
But I also, like, don't know that Rachel even knows what there yeah. is there. I feel like that would be a very fun, not fun, but like, it would be a very fun twist where um, they have, like, this bombshell and Rachel's like, I didn't even know that. It's like your classic, like, she was adopted and she didn't know. I don't right. think Rachel was adopted, but that's a very classic storyline to learn that someone was adopted and they didn't even know themselves. You know, or the classic storyline of um, you were my, you were supposed to be a surrogate baby that I stole. Yes. A so little maybe fire's she's actually a part you. of a rich family that... Maybe. Um, that would be like some very um, like importance of being earnest stuff. Or, like, Princess Diaries. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I'm i sure that there is something to find out. But whether that is just the fact that she's, like, a peasant. Yeah. <laughs> or that there's something, like, more. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, there definitely... I just remember there was, a, there was an Astrid chapter where it was, like, Astrid never could have prepared herself for the coming months. And I was like, Ooh, and and then pretty quickly after you learn about her husband's affair, but I feel like there's more to come. I think there's definitely more to come. I think that Nick's mom is clearly crazy town and is like going to, she is going to burn bridges and like burn the country down before she lets her son marry a peasant. She's crafty. Yeah. She's great. I, I love, love her husband, too, who just, like, clearly does not care. He's like, fine, I don't... <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I, no, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens, though. I, this book, is, for me, has been the quickest read that we've had. Mm-hmm. Like, we read 200 pages of it, and I read that in two days. And yeah. it didn't feel lab- laborious at all. No, whereas, like, 200 pages of Edith Wharton would have been like, whew. No, Edith Wharton, like, I'm like, oh, it's really short. Like, it's only it's 200 work. pages total, but it's like, no, it, this will take you several hours. It's like Henry James where oh, you're Henry. like, I gotta, I gotta brace myself for this. I think Edith's easier to read than Henry James. But yes, I would agree. Like, I would put them in definitely in the same category. But so, I would put them in the same category as Jane Austen, too. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm at the point with Jane Austen where I've read a lot of her books several times so they don't feel quite that way to me anymore um because partially because I already know what's going on usually in every yeah. so it's not like because sometimes in Henry James it's like I get so lost in the writing and the prose itself that I'm like wait what is the plot of this what's going on well and it's hard to keep track of characters and stuff but like right. once you know who the characters are it's like okay like I can understand what's going on it's like the first time i read turn of the screw i have no memory of anything that happened other than their ghosts well yeah i remember peter quint i still miss jessup (laughs) miss jessup yeah that book is also like it's like 60 pages and it's (laughs) so dense so hard which speaking of henry james we should also talk about that kevin kwan is joining a very illustrious group of um the queen bee book club male writers there are not many no he joins the ranks of oscar wilde henry james and vincent bugliosi 
So basically, with the exception of Vincent Bugliosi, we only read male authors who write about rich people. Yeah. And, like, clearly, without exception to anyone, I mean, maybe, I don't know, Kevin Kwan, but um, have big egos. Well, so Kevin Kwan, so did he grow up in this culture? Like, is he from, like, an incredibly wealthy family? He's from, he was born and raised in Singapore, but I don't know if he grew up, like, in... Because he does allude to going to one of those two ultra-rich schools. Oh. So it made me wonder if, like, is this, like, his world? Maybe. Yeah, his bio, like, couldn't be less informative. Kevin Kwan was born and raised in Singapore. He currently lives in Manhattan. Crazy Rich Asians is his first novel. Okay. Unhelpful. He's 70 years old. What? Yeah. Well, he's he's 68. Oh, my God. I was picturing, like, a very young man. I kind of was, too. I mean, he looks great. Like, he doesn't look That endears me to him a lot, that he's, like, this, like, 60-year-old guy, like, just writing about Rachel and Nick. Okay, this is a longer bio. Like, maybe he's the Oliver. I mean, that's kind of what his role is as the writer of this book, like, is explaining, like, this is what's going on. This is what this means. Mm -hmm. Um, Kevin Kwan was born and raised in Singapore, where he attended Anglo-Chinese school in the mornings and spent his afternoons either hiding from his Chinese tutor or chasing after neighborhood dogs on his bike. When he was 11, he moved to the United States, where the next few years were a blur of trying to survive high school, reading too much F. Scott Fitzgerald and Joan Didion, and dreaming of living in New York. Okay. After obtaining his first degree in creative writing from the University of Houston, he moved to Manhattan to pursue a BFA at Parsons School of Design. His early years were spent working at Martha Stewart Living, Andy Warhol's Interview Magazine, and M&Co, the legendary design firm founded by Tibor Kalman. Okay, so is he a designer? Uh, Okay, this is as vague as, as it could get. In 2000, he established his own creative studio, whether, where he specialized in producing high-profile visual projects for clients such as the New York Times, Museum of Modern Art, Rockwell Group, and TED.com. Okay. Many un- <laughs> unforgettable experiences followed, like creating the ultimate publishing tribute to Oprah Winfrey's groundbreaking television show, handling Elizabeth Taylor's fabled jewel collection while producing Elizabeth Taylor, My Love Affair with Jewelry, and serving as the visual consultant for the relaunch of the TED website, which exceeded a billion views in November 2012. Jeez. Um, I don't really, like, I don't really get, I don't know. So, I guess he's an artist? I guess. He manages, like, high-profile visual projects, whatever the F that means. That's I guess, like, what Oliver does. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's why he's so into into describing how beautiful everything is, because it's, like, he's very visual. Well, and no wonder he knows so much about jewels and fashion. True. So, there you go. Yeah. Well... 
predictions corner like i think shit's really gonna hit the fan and i frankly (laughs) as soon as eleanor gets back to singapore it's all over for everyone (laughs) i don't have a ton of um faith in rachel and nick surviving this ordeal really oh i think it's gonna be your classic like nick i just like can't handle this anymore and she like flies back to america and then nick goes and like there's been a couple weeks and they run into each other and they're actually in love or whatever and like maybe he goes back to Singapore and is like this is the woman I want to be with and then like runs off and if you can't accept that then like I don't want to be in this family anymore and I don't want your money yeah (laughs) your classic (laughs) Uh, yeah um where then they grew grow to love and respect her right because of this this and this right and then they're like well Astrid's also got problems so She's maybe more distracting. I don't know, though, because I I just think that, like, Astrid's situation is very common, it seems like. Yeah. Well, it's almost kind of, I feel like that if she decides to kind of confront Michael about it or, like, talk to anyone about it, I feel like the conversation's going to be, like, lots of men have mistresses. Like, why are you making a stink about this? I think you're right. Which will be a bummer. Yeah. For Astrid. Well, but I also think Astrid is, like... I think if Astrid wants a divorce, Astrid will get a divorce because she didn't marry the person that her family wanted her to marry. She also, like, failed out of school, which was not allowed. She also is a shopaholic. Yeah, so, you know, she's she's going to get what she wants. Yeah, love her. Um, yeah. So I guess that's, know, like, pretty much all I have to say. Shame week. on Nick. All hail Oliver. Yeah. Oh, one thing. I'm nervous because um, we asked the question on our Instagram story, like, basically, like, what are people's oh, yeah, thoughts yeah. on this book? And um, my friend Jackie wrote, like, the bachelor party is a lot. So I'm a little yeah. nervous to get to that scene. Yeah, I think that's coming, too. Yeah. So. I mean. Anyway. I'm very in. excited to watch the wedding ceremony. I think that's going to be oh opulent. God, me, AF. too. I'm so excited for that wedding. Um, so yeah, so we're going to be off next week because I'm going on family vacation to North Carolina, but we will be back the week after with the rest of Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. Which is very exciting. It is very exciting. This will be a good book to read at the beach. Yeah, I'm really excited to be like laid out, just seeing if these crazy kids can work it out. And if you're having too much fun, you can always bring yourself down with some self. Sylvia Plath, yeah. It's like, oh, Sylvia, I don't know. I know. I'm just worried about you, girl. I'm very worried about her. Yeah. All right. right. Well, rate, review, subscribe. Bye. Bye.